Welcome to another episode of My Journey Back, Possibly to God. This is a place where I explore questions of faith and doubt. Today's episode is a follow-up to the last episode where I was asking if the CHM is a cult. In that episode, I used Dr. Mark Bird's definition of a cult of Christianity, which is a group of people gathered around a religious leader or organization which has a message that denies the core historic Christian doctrines. Dr. Bird also stated that elevating secondary doctrine to the level of primary is another way groups attack core Christian doctrine. Before getting into today's episode, I want to say explicitly that I do not consider the CHM a cult. I think the CHM has a solid biblical and historic Christian foundation. However, I do think certain people within the CHM have drifted into cultish thinking at times, primarily by elevating their distinctives to the level of primary doctrine. Please note that I do not think the dress standards of the CHM places them anywhere near cult status. It's elevating these distinctives to the level of primary that has resulted in what I see as a drift from historic Christian doctrine. The purpose of discussing these identifying markers of a cult is not in any way to disparage the CHM or anyone in it, but to hopefully help the CHM recognize where it has slipped away from orthodoxy and into heterodoxy that at times borders on heresy. Today, I'm joined by Nick and Janelle Lavender from the podcast Beyond the Vow to discuss the eight marks of a cult as listed out by Dr. Bird. Our discussion went for more than an hour, and so I've split it out into two parts. This is part one. I hope you enjoy today's episode and trust you'll find it educational and beneficial in determining a cult of Christianity. Welcome to another episode of My Journey Back. I'm joined today by Nick Lavender from the podcast Beyond the Vow. Nick, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and your wife may be joining us here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the marks of a cult as listed by Dr. Mark Bird from God's Bible School. He has... Uh, a lecture out that's avail available for purchase called The Marks of a Cult. It's really, really good. I highly recommend anyone listening to go check that out for themselves. But he lists eight different marks of a cult. And Mark Bird, by the way, is not one of the marks. <laughs> <laughs> so he lists out eight, eight things that can help us identify a cult. And so we're going to go over those today. And I'm really looking forward to this episode. So, yeah, let's just... Let's just jump right in. I'm going to list them out, and then uh, we'll discuss each one individually. So the eight marks are new revelation, a false concept of God, another Jesus, erroneous view of humankind, salvation by works, abusive control, false prophecy, and exclusiveness. And I think right off the bat, there's a few here that's kind of raising some red flags that, you know, we, some people might be thinking, oh, I've got some experience with that. Um, but I think as we dive into these, I think even though some of us may consider some of these consistent with the churches that we grew up in, maybe like abusive control or exclusiveness, maybe even salvation by works, mm -hmm. um, we'll dive into that. But I think as we get into these, like, I think Dr. Bird is talking about perhaps something a little bit different than maybe what we experienced, at least in, I think, the general 
uh, conservative holiness movement. This channel or this podcast uh, and this episode is definitely not about bashing the CHM, but I do mention them frequently just because that's the church that I grew up in. And Nick, you and Janelle uh, grew up in that as well. So we just happen to mention it because that's where our spiritual formation took place, but these could apply anywhere. So yeah, with that said, let's just jump right in and talk about New Revelation. Nick, do you have any, any thoughts on New Revelation? So I like how Mark Bird puts it. He puts it as like a, a concept of there's a new prophet or a Messiah. He mentions Joseph Smith, the Mormons and things like that. And, you know, everybody, people like to feel uh, like there's a special niche for them, you know, and I don't know if it's just where you have these, these certain people who felt that they could cut out their own groove, if you will, by saying they had something, there was some, some divine inspiration that they had that no one else had. And, and, you know, I think sometimes people are curious and get drawn into that kind of thing. And the next thing you know, you have a following. And I, I think that you have to be careful, uh, especially today with technology, this kind of thing can propagate extremely fast when it comes to radical ideas, or as he puts it, you know, new prophets or messiahs, you, you find, on YouTube, there's just so many different people. <laughs> Africa is so full of different churches that have people who claim to be Jesus Christ, who claim that they are there to impart healing and everything else and to bring Christ to the earth now. And, and just you. And, and so as time goes on, you start to realize that what the Bible said about there being false Christs in the end times is absolutely correct. And that is increasing as we go along. So a new revelation, you, you have a new book, there's a, there's somebody has a dream, somebody has a vision. So I think that that kind of thing has definitely been a problem and is only going to get worse. Yeah. Dr. Bird mentioned someone, I forget, I forget their name, but said something along the lines of anything new is heresy, mm -hmm. um, any kind of new ideas or new doctrines. And so I think that gets to the reason why we we see some of these uh, pe people being deceived, I think, by or not understanding that these are new prophets or new revelations and is, is because they lack an understanding of historic Christian doctrine or the history of the church. Right. The, the person who, well, a person very close to my spiritual formation just recently uh, told me we were, we were having a conversation and the Catholic Church came up, Roman Catholic Church. And I know Protestants and Catholics, like there's a lot of really significant differences there. But he said the Catholic Church is false and evil. And that's a pretty strong statement. We started talking about some of the early church fathers, and he said, you know, I don't I don't need to read the early church fathers. I have the Bible. That's all I need. And I think that kind of dismissal of church history can can lead you to you know making statements about other christian groups saying they're they're false and evil and failing to realize like what what makes a different group false or what makes a different group a cult mm. the the statement about the early church fathers you know i'll be the first one to say that uh, there are some good things that are written by them as times have changed there are certain things that were more cultural but there are also certain things that adhere to, to doctrine, and it would be a mistake to discount what they've written. 
that that has kind of been a little bit of a, a stickler with me when it comes to even things as of recent, you know, we've had the whole discussions and things about biblical doctrine versus personal conviction and how easily we are able to dismiss some of the more radical is a strong word, but strange things that the early church fathers may have said. But yet today we have issues dismissing some radical things that are said from the pulpit. You know, we, we, if we get rid of it, if, if we try to discredit something very strange that someone is teaching, oh, you're going to be doing away, as one person told me, you're going to be doing away with the doctrines that the early church fathers uh, wrote and the, um, what the apostles believed in. And you, you can't really do that. You kind of have to analyze everything. You can't throw it all out. I think it's a mistake to definitely throw out what the early church fathers wrote. There's an awful lot of good stuff to glean from there. And I've, I've learned a lot from reading that, but you know, there's certain things like, was it Tertullian who spoke and said that um, women, because they took the blame for the fall, uh, that they should only wear uh, animal skins and that believers to show their piety, that they were Christians should only wear white. You know, those are things we don't do now, you know, mm -hmm. but there's also other things he did write that are good. And, and we do, you know, we agree with that, but I think that concept, I wish that concept was applied to some of the preaching that we even hear today, but it's like people are sometimes afraid to stand up against something radical. Yeah. I, I think the church, especially the early church fathers, like th there's some, there's some really strange ideas that they have, but I think reading them uh, helps us have a better understanding of what Dr. Bird defined as core doctrine. Exactly. So they, they may have some, some strange ideas on, some other doctrines, but then we'll read another church father who says, yeah, I, you know, I disagree with that. Or when we read up on the different, the different councils and what the church together um, as an ecumenical group declared as heresy, which it, I think is why the creeds are so important, especially these early creeds. It, it defines what the Christian church believed, like what mm -hmm. is, what is core doctrine? And I, so I attended God's Bible school for a few semesters. And when that, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever they would quote the creed, it felt so weird to me because in the church I grew up in, we, I didn't know what a creed was. We never right. talked about the creeds <laughs> in the church. So in the church I grew up in, like we never even took communion. Uh, I don't remember taking communion one time. So there's like these really fundamental elements of the, of the historic church that was completely missing. Um, and I think it's because of that mindset of, yeah, we don't need to know what the church has always said. We have the mm -hmm. Bible and that's all we need. And I think it gets us into, into these, these mindsets where some new prophet or new book can come along and we can easily be deceived by that. Right. I think the reason the early church fathers can be so good to learn from is because they help set precedents and, and kind of knowing what they were thinking and you can kind of see what's been consistent. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, really good. Okay, so the next one is a uh, it's a really really significant one I think. And uh, it's it's the a false concept of God. And Dr. Bird talked about how the the concept of God is primarily what cults target. Um especially when it comes to Jesus, which we'll talk about in the next in the next point. But this is this is really something that 
that can be difficult because I do think that no matter what kind of label or model that we try to use to define God, like to some degree, we're like, like there's no way to bring the ineffable God down into something that we can package into like a nice little statement or phrase to define who God is. Like God's just beyond our understanding. But I think there is some core doctrines that the church has always taught that we have to stay within those confines of history and church doctrine. Otherwise we end up with these new, these new understandings of God. So were there any, uh, any that Dr. Bird mentioned that, that stood out to you? Um, something he mentioned, he was talking about what is, the, what is true gospel. And, and there was like four different things. He said, you know, the, the person, which is the God, man, Jesus Christ, the work, which is Christ's death and bodily resurrection, the benefits, which are salvation. So justification, sanctification, glorification, and the response, which is faith. And that demonstrates its genuineness. And I think those four parts definitely will come under fire whenever you're looking at a false concept of God, of who he is, what his mission was, and what it accomplishes. Um, so you know, people like to either remove the power of God. That's kind of what we're having now is where man is, is becoming the God. Kenneth Copeland has caught a lot of flack, and especially a lot of the different, some of the word of faith, uh, because of the whole little God's theory uh, that they push out, you know, I am a little, I am a little God or however they put that out. And people kind of take off and run with that. And I think it's very dangerous that we start to put ourselves on equal footing with God. And then we start to take away from the power of God and we start to raise ourselves up higher than where we should be. Uh, and I think that's where man runs into trouble. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That You saying that reminds me of uh, what's it called? Like open, open theology. Uh, I forget what it's called. Um, but it's basically this, this idea that God is, uh, doc, Dr. Michael Bird, different from Dr. Mark Bird. Um, but Dr. Mike, Michael Bird just recently posted something describing it. And he was, it's, it's basically saying like, God is omnicompetent. Like he can handle anything that comes along and therefore he knows the future in that sense, but he doesn't know the future in any kind of fore, foresight or something. But yeah, just you saying that reminded me of, of open theology. I think that's what it's called. Here I'm talking I'm, about something I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm not exactly sure on that. I'm not that familiar with that. Yeah. One group that stood out to me when he was talking about false concepts of God is the Mormons. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea what they believed about God the Father. So he was saying that they believe that God used to be a man, just like mm -hmm. us, in some other universe. And he made it to heaven and was promoted to God status and then was sent off to create his own universe. And that's who we are. And so there's one God, but what they really mean is that there's one God for us. So really they have this idea that there's lots of gods out there that all used right. to be human that will be human. So that's like, that's, that's both uh, demoting God in a sense, and also elevating man to the level of God saying, I think they had a saying, it said something like, as man is God once was, as God is man can become something like that. Just exactly. blew my mind. Yep. Yep. I've heard of that exact same thing. Um, I can't remember 
isn't there a planet that supposedly God originated from or something along those lines? I, it's like on the tip of my tongue. I cannot remember it, but, uh, but there are people out there who, um, who still believe in that kind of thing and uh, still fall for it. Um, every day there was a, a, a guy that went to a church that I was uh, helping. I was associate pastor at, and um, he would live a little bit too far away to where he couldn't come to our church. Sometimes we go all the way to pick him up, but it was a long, it was a long trip. And he said, hey, there's a church right near where I live. And he said, um, uh, they believe the exact same, the same way we do. I said, Oh really? I said, what's the name of the church? Oh, something, something Mormon. I said, oh, no, you can't go there. <laughs> and and uh, there had to be like a conversation. He's like, well, why can't I go there? You know, they sound like they believe the same way I do. And that was one of the good points that Mark Bird brought up when he did, I think he did an example and he had that guy read a script card and just kind of like, Oh, will you believe it? Yeah, I believe the same way you do. And it's so it slides in into their minds so easy. And, and the next thing, you know, you're deep into this and it's not what you think it is. Right. So. Yeah. It's like he, the, one of the, one of the questions in that dialogue that you mentioned there was uh, the guy said, do you believe in one God? And the Mormon was like, yeah, yeah, I believe in one God, mm-hmm. but what they mean is one God for us. Yep. And that there's lots of gods out there actually, and it will become a God. Yeah. Just, and that, and that's why, um, Christians would say that Mormons worship a different God. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about the same God that Christians believe in, like that's not what Christians believe. Like it's, and it's, it's so different. It It's so different that it changes who God is and the nature of God. And that's why uh, mainstream or historic Christianity would, would say, even though the Mormons claim to be Christian, we shouldn't consider them Christian because they're literally worshiping a different God. Right. Yep. Which takes us into the third mark of a cult, and that is another Jesus. And I think some people may hear like Mormons talk about their faith or oneness Pentecostals and you know, hear someone say, no, 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 they're worshiping a different Jesus. And they're thinking, well, they're referring to the Jesus of the Bible. How can it be a different Jesus? Like they may have some misunderstandings of it, but how can, how is it a different Jesus? And I think I think the same thing applies here is, is there's views out there of Jesus that are so fundamentally different from the Christian view that you're, you're really not worshiping the same Jesus. Like if you were to say, well, Jesus was just a man um, and I follow his teachings. Therefore I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, mm-hmm. like that's not what Christians believe about Jesus. So if that's what you think, that's great. Probably that you're following his moral teachings, but Christians shouldn't, uh, I don't think identify people or embrace people who say that as, as brothers and sisters in Christ or as part of the body of Christ. Yeah. You know, another Jesus is a big one um, because you have so many different elements of Christ that are attacked. Um, the virgin birth is, is something that people, their logic tries to get into the way. And I'm sorry, at some point, you cannot logically explain what happened. You can't, you, you just can't. And that's where faith comes in and you just go, you know what, God, I, I believe you did it. And that's why in the Bible, it speaks of just simply believing. 
it can be, let me put it this way. It can be such a stumbling block to some to believe such a simple concept because it's like, well, that can't, that couldn't have happened. You know, uh, the, the, you know, the incarnation, the, the virgin birth and all of that, it, it can be so mind boggling. It defies science. It defies logic, but God confounds the wise with the simplest things, you know, and if you have the faith of a child and believe it opens up this entire door. And I think, you know, in the past, I have even been guilty of trying to reason things out. And I'm like, you know, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to understand everything, but I'm going to read what's in scripture. I see what it says happened. And I have to stand by that as wild as it sounds. And if there's anything else out there that differs from scripture, I can't accept that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, just to, just to be transparent here, I, you know, I identify as agnostic and I would say that I, I strongly doubt some of these things, you know, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, which is why, at least right now, I don't consider myself Christian, but I forget who, I forget who said this. I wish I could remember. I should go back and try to find it, but it really kind of took, kind of, kind of uh, set me back. And they, because I, I would say, you know, I, I find the belief in God to be a reasonable belief. I mean, is it, is there irrefutable proof out there? I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but is there irrefutable proof for atheism? I don't, I don't think so. I think they're going to be in tension. And that's where, like you said, faith comes in. You just have mm -hmm. to take that, take that by faith. But the person said, okay, you're willing to accept the belief that there's a creator of the universe, that there's a God, but you're struggling to believe that this God could, uh, th that the virgin birth could take place. Like compare, comparing the creation of the universe versus, you know, causing Mary to become pregnant as of, as a virgin, it seems like tiny compared to a God creating the universe. Right. So you can right. believe you're saying you can believe in God and the creator of the universe, but you struggle to believe in the virgin birth. It's, and that kind of took me back. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of tiny compared to a God creating the universe. Like if I'm willing to say, yeah, I think there's a God that created the universe, then it's not really any greater of a step to say that I believe in the virgin birth. Yeah. It's, it's uh, when you say you believe in Jesus, there is so much that's behind that because then you're saying you believe God created the heavens and the earth. You believe it was a virgin birth. You believe he was dead, raised from the grave and raised from the grave in three days and that he did all these different miracles and everything. And you believe those things. And I think sometimes even as a Christian, if you step back and look at what you believe, you go, wow, that there's a lot there. And it truly does take faith because a lot of that thing defies logic. It defies science. Mm -hmm. But where God is, all things are possible. And I think that's why it, 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 this, there are so many people that do get caught up uh, you know, sometimes in the science part that, that, you know, that couldn't have happened or this couldn't have happened. And um, it's truly a walk of faith. It is, it is truly. And somebody, you know, I, I've heard this before and, and I would stand by it. If I was to die and all of a sudden there was nothing and I just ceased to exist and I become dust, I would much rather still have walked this route than not to have walked it at all. And that's just, that's how I believe. Because re regardless of what my logic may tell me, 
and regardless of what science may tell me, there's something different inside of me that wasn't always there. Something changed and there's a relationship that I have every day that has grown and I have communed with God through my prayers and through reading and things even recently that have taken place or, or someone contacted me and saying, hey, God laid it on my heart to tell you something. And then all of a sudden finding out that was exactly what I was praying for. Things like that. Eventually, once you start to run into so many coincidences, you go, is this really a coincidence anymore? Or is God really trying to reach? I always joke with my wife, I told her, I said, you know, I'm so bad when it comes to, uh, if you try to uh, tell me something like, or imply something, you literally have to hit me in the face with a brick, you know, because like, it has to be so obvious. And I, I told my wife, I said, I feel like one day I want to have a conversation with doubting Thomas because Thomas was one of those people where he just, he's like, I will believe it when I see the prince in his hand and I can put my, my hand into the, where they thrust the spear in his side. And he, the words that he says are so key. He says, when, when God says, look at the prince, of my, or Jesus says, look at the prince, of my hands. And he says, look at the, where they, you know, my side. And he says, my Lord and my God. And those words, I truly believe were so powerful because at that moment, Thomas got it. And though we don't read too much about Thomas, I truly believe Thomas was probably one of the most dedicated followers because once he got it, that was it. He wasn't letting go. And I told my wife, I, as though I may not be like that, but sometimes I feel like God has to hit me in the face with a brick to get something across to me. But once he does that, okay, I got it. I'm good now. You know, and sometimes I don't think everybody needs that. Um, you know, some people, God speaks to people in different ways and he reaches out to him in different ways and, and, and through other people even. Um, but when it comes to, uh, you know, the, just the, the, the concept of who Jesus is and understanding the virgin birth and, and, and all of that, in, in, that entails, it truly takes faith. But What's the song go? How's the song go? Faith unlocks the door. Uh, prayer is the key to heaven and faith unlocks the door, I believe. Um, that's really how it works. When, 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 faith when you have faith, it truly unlocks the door. And uh, everything starts to make sense and come through. Uh, your faith won't always be super strong. You're going to have things that are going to rock you. Uh, but it's that consistency that you have to have. Yeah, Dr. Bird uh, mentioned... Um, when, when he was talking about, you know, having a correct understanding of Jesus, that you're placing your faith in the right Jesus. Yep. Uh, he said that you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have weak faith, but the object of your faith is, is correct. And yep. therefore you're, you're saved. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can have strong faith and have it misplaced in another Jesus or something else. And you're not. And that, that was encouraging to me because, you know, I'm struggling with a lot of doubt. Mm -hmm. And um, you mentioned Doubting Thomas. That reminds me of an article that Sean McDowell wrote one time. And he said, we shouldn't refer to Thomas as a doubter because the other guys, they doubted as well. Mm -hmm. they, had, they had some questions. They're like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. But they never rejected it. So they were the doubters. Thomas was more like, 
a rejector. Like I'm rejecting this. I'm not like, he didn't just doubt. He's like, I'm not believing it. Mm. And the, the point he was trying to make was these other guys show that you can, you can have doubt and still, still have faith. You're still okay. Mm-hmm. And then getting back to Dr. Bird saying, you know, even if your faith is weak, and it just meant a lot to me because I feel like I'm, I've, I fall into that category. And so it was encouraging to hear him, hear him say that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying that this idea of Jesus is, is one of the main areas that cults attack. I think an important part of that is when Christians say, you know, that we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, we're not just saying faith. We're saying faith in Christ and mm-hmm. in Jesus. And it's important that we're not saying we're putting our faith in Jesus, the man, right. or we're not putting our faith in Jesus, the angel or this created being. We're saying we're putting our faith in Jesus, who is God. Mm. So ultimately our faith rests in God and what God has done. And so that's what cults will do a lot of times is say that Jesus was a created being. And um, I've been reading up on uh, oneness Pentecostalism. So on the surface, they seem to believe in what's called modalism, which is where uh, they deny the Trinity. Um, but modalism basically says that there's there's one God who kind of puts on three different masks. So sometimes he puts on them or, or hats. You can think of it as hats. And he's like, right now I'm in the role of father. And then later on he comes and says, okay, now I'm in the role of Jesus, the son. And now I'm in the role. So that's modalism. So there's that, that I think is, is, can be the most deceiving or the most tricky because they don't necessarily deny, they're not really denying the divinity or the deity of Jesus. Um, and on the surface, that's what oneness Pentecostalism looks like. Um, but really, if you, if you study the writings of David Bernard, they actually believe in Arianism, which says Jesus is a created being. Mm-hmm. Well, let me rephrase that because they don't believe Jesus is a created being. They believe the son of God is a created being. It gets really, really tricky to hear what they're saying um, because they, they believe that the son is a created being. He had a beginning. And then they believe that the father indwelled the son. And then people refer to this being as Jesus. But when they say Jesus, they mean the father. And when they say the son, they mean the person that was indwelled by the father who was a created being. So really it's, it's Arianism. So they do, they do deny uh, the deity of Jesus or, or to be more specific in the way that they would say it, they deny the deity of the son of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it really is denying, denying deity there. So yeah, it's really, it's really confusing though, because it, it presents as modalism, but behind it is really a foundation of Arianism, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like he brought up where Jesus was baptized in that example, and I'm not quite sure how they explain that, because that's a good one, you know, because if if God just simply has a personality disorder, how can he pull that off? You know, you, you know, there's there's obviously three distinct elements that are present when this takes place. And you have the Father who speaks, you have the Son who's baptized, and the Holy Spirit makes his presence known. So, yeah, it, it's, I'm not quite sure how they, I've never researched to see if they have a counter argument to that, but I would find it hard to get by that. 
Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I think the modalism view gets gets at what you're saying there. Like that, it's like God talking to Himself there. Yeah. Um, it's really confusing. Um, I think the Arianism view would say that, you know, God was saying that to His created Son, which is it's it's kind it it's really weird. The oneness Pentecostals have this blend of Arianism and modalism. So I'm not sure what they would say about that. They'd probably um, rely more on their Arian views so that it doesn't seem like God's talking to himself. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange. Yeah. You have to be careful of the technicalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it'll, it'll trip you up if you're, if you're not careful. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul was referring to in second um, Corinthians. Uh, I think it was 11, four, four, 11, 11, four. I think it was 11, four. <laughs> you know, people preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel. Like they're not going to say, you know, you should follow Muhammad or something. They're, they're going to be saying, follow Jesus. And this is Jesus. Um, and they're going to be referring to the historic Jesus. Like he didn't say another Jesus for no reason. It's not right. someone who is analogous to Jesus. It's like, they're saying this person, they're referring to Jesus, but they're describing him in a way that is not who Jesus was. Right. And so that's what, that's what makes it so tricky. Yeah, that's that's a definitely a huge one that they that the cults attack. Yeah, so moving on, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but erroneous views of humankind. You had mentioned like humans kind of elevating themselves to the status of God, or we talked about the Mormons believing that man will be God someday. I think that's what he's getting at here. Yeah, um, you, you have a there is a movement across the world, especially America where there is such an elevation of the creation where man is is being you know worshipped i i hate to see it i really do but it always struck me so strange this is i don't know if this is more of a side side topic but you know i everybody talks about you'll see at the um various award shows whether it's for like the emmys or it's a uh, country music or uh, whatever the case could be, and you'll have different acts who will get up there and sometimes they'll dress in the most provocative outfits that all um, are you know, satanic looking or, or demonic looking evil, you know, very rarely do you see anyone out there trying to do anything that would be uh, heavenly themed or, or God themed or Jesus themed. And it's like, when you look at it from that, you see, it is so easy to endorse the the satanic side of it whether it's wearing the you know i'll, I'll take a, a long time ago dad and uh, the pastor of the church that we attended at one point bible methodist church is, is no longer here but it's around haverhill ohio they all went to um, it was huntington west virginia and ozzy osbourne was in town and this was back it may have been the 80s i want to say and, um, you know, they were handing out gospel tracks and it just so happened that they, that I guess Ozzy's tour bus was right there. And I guess he must've been inside getting ready. And all of a sudden the door to the tour bus opens up and he steps out and he's wearing a red devil costume. And the pastor said, here, he said, I'd like to give you some good gospel literature. And he gave Ozzy a gospel track and he looks at it and he goes, nah, and he just throws it down on the ground and he jumped up and down on it. And then he walked on into the, uh, into the arena. And I thought, you know, I hate to be Aussie if he stands before God and that moment is played back. 
that's that's that didn't look too good. But I I say all that because there is such an ease of endorsing that kind of look, that kind of behavior of denying God, of worshiping self, of, of idolizing the evil. Uh, you know, we see the church of Satan popping up and people trying to look bad. And we have the, we had a satanic uh, uh, expo or a satanic con or Satan con or something, different things. Are, but yet it is so hard for them to admit that God is real or God exists, but they're so easily able to accept the evil side of it. And I think that really kind of just indicates that really at the basis and at the core of everything that's happening, there is a good versus evil, God versus Satan that is taking place. And there are so many people that have been misguided and they have been misled and they've been lied to either through cults, false teachings, false Christs. And there is a elevation of themselves above God. And this is just starting to spread all over the place. And, uh, I, I, I truly believe that that at its core has, is what has kind of promoted this erroneous view of humankind, uh, where we, we think of ourselves as untouchable, we think of ourselves as infallible, we, we can't make mistakes, um, I can, only I can judge myself, uh, God's not the judge of me, and, and all that different kind of behavior out there. And so I think Satan has had a field day kind of pushing that right there, is this erroneous view of humankind. Hmm. It might have been a kind of a round the roundabout kind of <laughs> explanation there, but I, I hope it made sense. Yeah, no, that was really good. Uh, it reminded me of uh, Kurt Thompson. I, I read Kurt Thompson quite a bit and listen to his podcast. And uh, one thing that he he talked about um, that was kind of a new a new concept for me was evil doesn't create these new evil things. It takes good things and like and like twists them. Uh, and, and it makes me the way, the way that you were phrasing that it, it makes me think of like, what's, what's the flip side of that? That's actually good. You know, I think he, he talks about how much God desires to be in relationship with us, how much he values us. And like, that's, that's the way to, I guess, build yourself is to recognize that you're valuable to God, that God loves you. And I think if you eliminate God, then it becomes this, you're trying to accomplish that same thing without God. So it's like, yes, I'm valuable. I matter. And you end up elevating, elevating yourself to the level of God rather than recognizing that, that you are valuable because you're created by God and because you're loved by God. I don't, I don't know if that's really the right analogy, but it just kind of reminded me of, of, you know, a lot of times there's these really harmful ideas out there and harmful concepts that it, it's like, it's like trying to seek a good thing, but without God, and it just becomes uh, a very evil thing. You know, my wife would, would jump all over this. Um, it, all I have to do is mention purity culture, and boy, she just, she, she's ready to go. She'll talk all about, you know, the things that have happened. And, and uh, believe it or not, I truly believe that, you know, one of those things that is a beautiful gift from God is sex. It is something meant for a husband and a wife. It is holy. It is pure. The marriage bed is undefiled. Yet man, media, entertainment has taken something clean and meant for reproduction and the enjoyment between a husband and wife and has completely perverted it to the point where 
especially within the CHM, there was an absolute deterrent, like just anything to stay away from it. You don't talk about it, you know, growing up, you know, even the word sex was almost like as bad as a four letter, the four letter word, you know, Mm -hmm. it was so bad. And so there was such a space put between that. And so then you start having different issues that, that come about from that when people have gotten married because they've avoided it, there's, there's issues and all sorts of things. And that's a whole other topic right there. But when you mentioned about how something good is taken and, and uh, made bad, I think that's a perfect example where you, you, you know, all you have to do is just if you were to stand behind a platform and just say the word sex, I think half the people in there would just probably about pass out and the rest would run you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'd be falling out of the pew for oh, sure. Yeah, completely. But it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, Satan likes to take things that are good and he likes to, um, he likes to destroy them, pervert them. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really sad to see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good thoughts there. All right, that concludes part one of our discussion on the eight marks of the cult as identified by Dr. Mark Bird. So far, we've discussed new revelation, a false concept of God, another Jesus, and erroneous views of mankind. In part two, when we discuss the final four marks of a cult, I think at least three of these last four marks are going to feel really familiar to some people. The last four are salvation by works, abusive control, false prophecy, and exclusiveness. I hope you'll join us for part two to hear our thoughts on these last four marks of a cult. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.